right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Cole C. DeButar with me. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. The Royals have a bright spot. The Royals have something to watch for over the last couple weeks, last couple months of the season that would be one Daniel Lynch Daniel Lynch another strong performance last night seven innings of work one run allowed against the Houston Astros one of the best offenses in the MLB and now you go back over the past handful of matchups for Daniel Lynch came back up on July 25th after he was sent back down faced the Tigers who you know it's the Tigers so you don't think much of them but the Tigers actually have been a better offense in the second half. They're averaging over five runs per game since mid-June. So the Tigers, the Blue Jays, one of the best offenses, the White Sox, one of the best offenses, Yankees, star-studded lineup, and now the Houston Astros. That is a legit gauntlet of opponents. And through all those starts, Daniel Lynch's ERA is below 2.5. Daniel Lynch, future ace of the team, Daniel Lynch starting opening day in 2022. Yeah, I'm 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 definitely sold on that. Uh I think that he's got to work a little bit on throwing good uh balls in the strike zone. Um I think he wants to paint the corners a little too much, leads to a lot of walks. But if uh he can convince guys to really just start swinging and looking like idiots at his stuff, I think that uh he's definitely the number one guy. It's weird because he hasn't really shown the strikeout stuff altogether so far averaging below a strikeout per inning pitch and that was the case again last night with Houston but I don't know how much you attribute that to just the offenses they're playing and given that it is against some of these top offenses so you wouldn't think you are going to necessarily get a bunch of strikeouts but the way that the MLB game is going you would think if you're a really good pitcher you're going to get Lots of strikeouts, but it's it's funny. You look at his overall stats, and you might sit there and go, "He's three and three this year with a five one two ERA." What are we talking about? But when you're a a first year pitcher coming up, when you're a young guy, you know you look at MLB.com or the Athletic or these different sites that rank prospects, and he's a top twenty five, top thirty guy, just twenty four years old. It is about the progression over the course of the season, and to get to where you want to go next year which, you know, I kind of poke fun at the idea that Dayton Moore thinks they can be a contender in 2022, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but if that is the path you're going to go down and if that's the idea here, then you sure as heck better find some development from these young pitchers as the season goes on. And so far, to this point, we hadn't really seen that. Yeah, I'm really glad that we found someone that we're not going to have to pay a buttload of money to uh, in order to, like, be competitive. But 
I really have to ask the question. If we're going to be competitive in two years, are we going to spend money on good players? Like, that's what we had to do um, to win our World Series. I mean, a combination of homegrown talent and a willingness for the first time from that uh, front office to spend money is what got us to World Series. Um so, you know, are they willing to spend that kind of money again? Everyone knows Kansas City will show up for a winning team. Uh, you know, maybe, but we're not the Yankees where we'll show up for the team whenever, you know? Yeah, I, I think that it is going to have to come down to what you're spending to supplant the roster. But at the end of the day, we know the Royals aren't going to be the big spender. They're not going to be the Yankees, like you're saying. They're not going to be one of the top five spenders. But can they be a spender to kind of what they did this past year. I think this past offseason, you were you were okay with what they did. You know, you went out and Carlos Santana has really struggled so far in the second half, but you appreciated them going out and paying some money to get a legit MLB first baseman and going out and, and making a few of those moves, getting a multiple-year deal for Mike Miner, who was a possible bounce-back candidate. And we haven't really seen the bounce-back, but again, actually trying it and going out and paying some money to some of these guys, that that did happen. The question is whether it'll happen again this offseason. But even if they do, to your point, with the fact that we know they won't be one of the top spenders, like they're not going to go out and get Max Scherzer. That just won't happen. They won't spend that much money. So if we're looking at, yeah, maybe they'll spend a little bit of money and maybe they'll get those mid to lower tier free agents, it's still the onus is on these young guys to... If they want to be competitive, it's dependent on how good the young guys are, right? And what I worry about in terms of that is big bats. Like, it looks like, you know, maybe uh, we can home grow our entire pitching staff. You know, we don't need to be the Nationals paying half a billion dollars to your pitching staff so you can win a World Series. Uh, But then who's hitting? You know, Uh, presumably you, you know keep Whit Merrifield for however long you want to because uh, we should have traded him this year if we didn't want to keep him. Uh, Salvador Perez has got a, maybe a couple good years left in him. Uh, but who's hitting beyond those guys? And who's power hitting beyond uh, Salvi and sometimes Santana? We traded away Solaire. He wasn't hitting that well, so I understand that. But that was the other like power hitting guy, right? Yeah, and again, it all comes back to the young guys to me. Like, is Bobby Witt going to come up as soon as next year? And I, I'll say this, like, I, I still don't believe that 2022 is going to be a contention year. They're in last place of the division right now. So to move up from fifth to third would be moving up, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a contender. That doesn't necessarily mean you're being competitive. So to expect that might be a little too much. But if it is going to happen, then you need to see more turns like what we've seen from Daniel Lynch. And if that continues to happen, if we see that for, you know, we've seen it a little bit with Chris Bubich, though, every so often, like the Cardinals start this past weekend, you see the occasional blowback, the setback a little bit. But if we see what Daniel Lynch is doing, where he was a guy who struggled when he first came up, they send him down and there were some rumors and and talk about, well, he was pitch tipping and that's why he struggled and they got that ironed out in, in the minor leagues. And then he comes back up. And this is the result. We're seeing what he looks like as his former top prospect. But if you get that same, maybe not to the same level, but some sort of improvement from the other guys, whether it's Brady Singer, whether it is Chris Bubich, whether it's a guy like Jackson Coar, who right now is even struggling in AAA, that helps there. If you get those young guys up like Bobby Witt, Nick Prado, 
and MJ Melendez. Then all of a sudden you fortify the roster. And then at that point, like I'm saying, it's it's just dependent on how good are the young guys going to be right away, how improved are they going to be, and how can you supplant the roster because you're not going to get the new face of the franchise in free agency. They're not going to spend that type of money. But can they get another Carlos Santana-level free agent in terms of the money you're spending to come in and be that secondary piece to kind of fill the gaps in the roster similar to, you know, I think back to when the Cubs um, started their incline toward being a World Series team. I think it was 2014, maybe, 2015. And you had some of these young guys coming up. You had Anthony Rizzo up for maybe a year or two, and he was a young and still a young guy. Chris Bryant was just coming up. Javier Baez was just coming up. Jake Arrieta was was starting to look like a really good pitcher. You had all these guys starting to come up at the same point in time, and because you had all these guys on cheap contracts who were young players who you needed to count on, and they ended up being able to, to pay you off on that, you were able to spend some money elsewhere in free agency. You were able to go out and get a guy like Jason Hayward who – not the greatest player in the world, but provides good defense and this or that and, and spend money elsewhere to bolster the team, go out and get a guy like Ben Zobris. So that, that's the ultimate question. It's how good are the rookies going to be right away? Are you going to continue to see progression from these youngsters right now? And can you at least spend enough funds to supplant the roster? Yeah, I, I would just really want to know what that budget looks like. Um, related, do you think uh, Barlow is the... Um, you know, kind of close the relief ace that we've been looking for? I I don't know if the Royals at this point are ever going to settle on one closer, if that's where you're going he's, with it. He's felt like he's been really but good the last He has been very, years. very good. And, you know, I don't ever want to get to a point where we're like, well, can he be the first piece of what was in 2014 when you had three dominant relievers? Because that's just, that doesn't happen that often. But, yes, I think Scott Barlow, you have him a lot of years of control. He can be a big part of that. Um, I think the same thing for, I don't know, even a guy like Kyle Zimmer. Like, he's still young-ish, um, gotten his feet wet in the relieving game. I, I think there's something there. Still not on the track that 2022 is going to be the year. But I've definitely seen enough that I could see 2023, 2024 being really good years for the Royals with all these young guys continuing to progress. and. He kind of fits in that same boat. Same with the guy like Josh Stamont. You know, you have these young guys who are under control that maybe you can get a little more uh, out of him down the road. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, Big 12 set their game threshold policy yesterday. In the event a conference game is canceled due to a team not having enough student athletes to compete, which is due to COVID-19 or for any other reason, that team will forfeit and be credited with a loss in the conference standings the opponent will be credited with a win in the conference standings. Both teams will be deemed to have played the game for purposes of conference standings only. A forfeit can be declared at any point before a completed contest and when possible would occur prior to the visiting team commencing travel. Additionally, if both teams are unable to compete, a no contest would be declared and if needed, an unbalanced tiebreaker would be utilized to determine conference championship participants in football or championship seating in other sports. This is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, last year they just basically would cancel the game. It wasn't resulting in a forfeit. What that could mean for, you know, I mean, what happens if Kansas gets like a free win out of it? That'd be nice for the record. Um, but also, like, what happens if this impacts the Big 12 title race? What happens if it impacts the college football playoff race where, like, Oklahoma had to forfeit a game and it keeps you out of the playoff because you win the other games that you're in, but you have to forfeit two games? 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds nice to say that uh, Kansas might get a free win out of it. But if the worry is, oh, you know, because a lot of the players aren't vaccinated, someone might forfeit a game, I would suggest that KU's at risk of that. I don't think that a lot of the KU players are vaccinated. It's at 87% is what they last said. So it's a pretty high number. Yeah, it's a pretty high number. Um, But it's definitely a possibility for any team in the country that there could be a COVID shutdown, and, and who knows what that means because, I mean, if it's a two-week shutdown, then all of a sudden you're losing two games, and it's obviously very problematic. So uh, I find that very interesting, too, especially about the part where if both teams are dealing with it, it's declared a no contest, but at that point, it's almost like a game of chicken where <laughs> if one t- – like, seriously, if, you, if your team is having COVID issues and you don't think you can play – Aren't you at that point, like in the back of your mind, going, okay, there's no way we're going to play and I'm not preparing to play, but we're not going to announce officially. We're not going to play until literally like, I don't know, the day of the game or the day before the game because we want to stretch as long as possible in case the other team has to do the same thing. Or in the case of, you know, what happens if you wait long enough and then the other team says we can't play, we have COVID issues, and all well, you were knowing oh, we weren't going to be able to play either. We had COVID issues, but you announced before we did. So, no, we're actually fine. We'll take the win. That could happen, right? I, I don't know what the procedures are. I would Maybe despise whoever, like, orchestrated <laughs> that. Like, that is uh, irresponsible on a sportsmanship competitive <laughs> level, irresponsible on a – like, if you put your players on a plane and traveled them to, you know, Norman or whatever – to pretend like you were going to play when there was a bunch of kids who had COVID. That's super messed up. Well, that is uh, the world of sports corruption sometimes. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't know. Maybe there's procedures in place that would prevent it. But that was just my immediate worry when I read that. He's Cole C. Debutar. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up on the other side, let's talk with KU soccer coach Mark Francis. This is RCST. Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's, you know, washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. Did you see this uh, Steve Cohen tweet? Is that the Mets guy? Yeah, that's the the owner of the Mets. Funny enough, if I was an owner, if I was a billionaire, I would not be on Twitter. I don't even think I'd be on any social media. Because one, you're just going to get like roasted a lot. Two, for just being so rich. Uh, two, like I, I don't care enough about social you're media. You're so rich. Why would you? It's like, yeah, what's the point? Do I need to build my following up? You know? Do I, I don't know. Um, but anyway, he is on Twitter. And it has provided us great content. So I'm actually thankful that he is on Twitter, even though I wouldn't be if I was in his shoes. Uh, He tweeted out about when they didn't sign Kumar Rocker, and basically everything he said was basically admitting to the idea. I think he said, why would we not want to invest in young talent? Those players are worth like four to 
five times their value. It basically just like admits that like they're underpaying guys who just got drafted. All the players' unions gonna have a field <laughs> yeah, day with that one the next time yes, they have they to go to a degree. Which is this offseason for oh, the CBA, yeah. so that's gonna Great get out. I'm sure that is 100 percent gonna get brought up. But today, here's what he tweeted: It's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. Now the Mets have been. Kind of falling apart a little of late in the second half. The Phillies have usurped them in the division. They're not hitting, and they've spent a, a good amount of resources in the hitting. I think Francisco Lindor trading for him, then giving him the massive extension, trading for Javier Baez at the trade deadline. There's a lot that hasn't gone right, but you don't see this from owners. It's just uh, part of me wants to like be, yes, you're a fan just like us. Let's go. But the other part of me is like, you can't do this. Yeah, it's a billionaire criticizing the millionaires that he pays that they're not hitting well enough. Um, I also, he's complaining about their discipline. Like, oh, why aren't they slugging more? Slugging is not a discipline issue. There's dudes who hit like sub 200 and slug pretty well. Yeah, like Joey Gallo <laughs> slugs the heck out of it. He hits like 210 every year. Yeah, you know? so, you know, that that's that's really not the issue. If he's talking about OBP, that's fine. But slugging is not a discipline issue. Slugging is a, are you willing to completely sell out to try to hit uh, dingers? Does this open up the idea that a player could tweet something like, man, if only our ownership, like, ran <laughs> us better? And he can't be mad about it. No, he can't be mad. <laughs> it, I mean, he would maybe just say, like, oh, well, that player had a bigger following than me, and that's the issue <laughs> with, this, with this situation. It's terrible, dude. When you're that rich, just, uh, go sit in your mansion, right? You right. know, Go hang out with your wife and your three mistresses, and uh, you don't need to be uh, – you know, talking smack to your players on on Twitter. You just don't need to be doing it. No, you do not. That's not going to help for the next uh, free agent who thinks about signing there. That's for sure. He's Cole Cita Butar. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star joins us next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. About 20 to the top of the hour here on FM 1017. And 1320 KLWN, Colsey Butar in studio with me. I'm Derek Johnson, joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Jesse, there's there's changes ongoing to the IARP, and, and I know you just wrote about this in an interview with Derek Crawford and how they could be speeding up the process. So at this point, given everything that we learned about in that interview, do you think it's likely that we're going to hear something prior to the start of the basketball season for KU? No, probably not. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit too soon. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I did write that today. I'd encourage people to go check it out because there's sort of a lot in there. And, and this whole process is sort of written by lawyers, um, it seems like, because there's a lot of different committees and things that are going on. So it's, it's kind of sorted all out. Sometimes it takes many more hundred words than I want it to. But, you know, you, you hear from Crawford in there. He told me yesterday that most of these cases are wrapping up when it comes to the investigative part of this, but unfortunately, that's not the end process. That gets you, you know, closer to a hearing, and then once there's a hearing, then typically after a hearing, there's going to be around 90 days until there's a decision on that. So, no, I think this thing is still going to be pushed back a little bit, but we'll see. I mean, one of the encouraging things I thought uh, that's coming about because of these new NCAA changes that were enacted by the Division One uh, Board of Directors is that there's going to be timeline cases put up on the IRP website. So, 
That way we can go on there and look and see exactly where the case is and kind of compare that to the timeline that's laid out for the IIRP cases. So, um, as I said, you know, once there's a hearing, it's about 90 days. And we will know once a hearing takes place because the IARP is going to put that on the website and say, hey, a hearing is taking place. So from there, it's not going to be a complete guessing game. We're not going to be talking here and go, hey, is it months? Is it years? We don't know. Once those sorts of things are laid out in front of us, then we'll have a little bit better idea and there'll be a little bit more uh, transparency with the process where there hasn't been much of that uh, to start off this whole thing. So we'll see what happens. But uh, no, I, I'm thinking this thing is going to be 2022 at the earliest. That's kind of my gut instinct on it right now. Uh, I don't think that this thing is going to be wrapped up very, very quickly, but um, we'll see how it all plays out and we'll see if this transparency does add a little bit to uh, the process to maybe make it a little bit quicker. Let's say things go final like at the end of February or, or somewhere around that range. At that point, do you think they would just institute the punishment for the following season or would they actually like put it at that point where you've played your whole season and then not know you weren't going to uh, potentially if you got like postseason ban, you w- wouldn't know that you were going to get that until two weeks before the tournament. Do you think they could do that? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, that's actually uh, what's interesting is I talked to, you know, you talked about, you said I talked to Derek Crawford, who is the uh, VP of NCAA hearing. Earlier on, um, I talked to the previous uh, the VP of hearing operations, which was Naima Stevenson Starks, uh, for a story that ran last year, May 21st of last year, when we thought this thing might wrap up a little bit quicker than it did. And I actually asked her that exact question. Uh, which is, hey, if this thing happens right before, kind of what's the president there, what would potentially happen? And she said, hey, um, you know, that's not really known at, at this moment, and it kind of just depends. Um, and that's exactly the, the quote that she had in there, which was, it depends. Um, she said that there is president for teams serving those punishments in the same season, as long as the postseason play hasn't started. But, um, you know, coaching suspensions have less of a clear line with that, so... Um, the unique timing of this kind of um, would just sort of depend on the circumstances and what happens. The one thing that could factor in here as well, as, as you know, Derek, which is there's no appeal process with this particular route. Um, you know, the, we saw Oklahoma State last year, you know, they got their punishment or whatever and then appealed it and they were able to play in their NCAA tournament games. That's not how this process works. So, um, like I said, the NCAA VP of hearings at the time told me it depends on that. I, I would think that potentially it could be something that's served right away. Um, also, I could also could see something where if it's pushed back long enough or if this thing does drag on long enough, which, hey, listen, it easily could get to March or April or May by now. I, I don't think I'm saying anything out of line there. That that probably is the more likely scenario anyway. But if that does happen, then I guess there will be some things to have to figure out. And like I said, if the NCAA VP of hearings couldn't give me a straight answer to that question about a year ago, then it's probably one that's going to have to be decided when this whole thing comes out and, and that punishment, when it, it happens, and, and depending on what it is, uh, when they all figure that thing out and figure out when that's going to take place. I know it's been a... I don't know, maybe popular is not the right word, but sentiment among some KU fans of the idea that if KU does get punished here, they're going to bring it into an actual court as opposed to just leaving it up to an NCAA committee, so to speak. I I don't know if if this would be something up your alley. Uh, Obviously, I mean, you're not an attorney or anything, but I I don't know. You've you've covered some of this stuff. Uh, That wouldn't actually cover KU. Like if, If they took the IARP or the NCAA to court because they were unhappy with what the resolution was, that wouldn't actually cover them from not getting like postseason bans, right? That would just be basically 
at that point, what, suing them for loss of damages or, or loss of money for not making a tournament or something like that? It wouldn't actually go because I, I guess I, I don't understand how that works. Like, how would a court of law, if that situation happened, actually be able to change a ruling on their competition play? Yeah, no, no, you're right. From from my understanding of this, you're like absolutely right. Um, when Bill Self is potentially, or his lawyers are talking about legal actions against the NCAA, it's done mostly as a threat. <laughs> it's done in advance because they're basically sort of threatening, hey, you don't want to go down this road, don't go down this road. But if KU did go down that road, again, from my understanding on this and the people that I've talked to, that's something that takes years and years and years in court. And that's not something where a judge can grant an injunction and say, hey, um, KU can now compete in the NCAA tournament because I've granted this injunction and now they can play. No, I mean, I've said this all along. The NCAA is like a homeowners association. You know what I mean? You <laughs> abide by the rules that you signed up for. And so um, a court can't overturn those rules. Again, you signed up to be in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? You signed mm-hmm. up to mow your grass. You signed up to make sure that the, the shutters aren't falling off of your window. So by agreeing to the IRP rules um, and, and saying that there's not going to be, uh, you know, you're not going to appeal or there's not going to be an appeal process, you know, that, that's not the sort of thing that can happen. And, again, you know, they could, from my understanding, you know, Bill Self or KU or whoever, you know, could try to take this up into a real courtroom. But that's the sort of thing that's going to be years in the process. And if KU, quote, won in that case, it basically would mean that the NCAA has no jurisdiction anymore. And so basically it could kind of just mark the end of the NCAA, as you will. But again, if that's 8, 10, 12, 14 years down the line, what good are you really doing? Um, so, it, yeah, this is uh, – I'm, I'm with you there. I, I think sometimes there's maybe a false sense out there of exactly what KU's playbook is on this particular thing. The playbook for Kansas is to try to not have very severe violations and then serve them as quickly as possible and move on with your life. The playbook is not to get hammered by the NCAA or the IRP and then try to fight this in a different court and have this thing drag on for years and years and years. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's something you do in advance. It's something you do to kind of try to threaten and then try to make to clear the NCAA that they might have a fight on their hands down the road that they don't want to face and that, you know, potentially Bill Self and his lawyer don't want to face. But um, that's what you do before all this happens. And then once it does happen, again, you, if you're K, you, you're just hoping for the best. You're hoping for this gray cloud to go away. You can serve your punishment and move on. And again, this thing now almost four years in the making since the original FBI investigation came out. Um, it has been a long time. It has been a dark cloud for a long time. And, and I'm sure at this point, the program is just hoping that it's not as severe as their, you know, their worst fears are. And by that point, if they can just serve something and move on, then that would be the best for, for definitely the people who are around here in Lawrence. If they are given a, I don't know, let's say two-year postseason ban, something along that nature, would that have any effect into realignment? Like if KU was flirting with the Big Ten or ACC or – uh, would that affect that at all, or is that not really on the radar because it's not really a, a long-term thing? It's more of a short-term thing. Yeah, I think you're right with the short-term thing. And, again, we're all speculating here on the top three line. Right. Something might not even be decided by then if, if yeah. this thing you know came down the line in five or six months. But it's sort of the same thing you hear on the opposite end with KU football, which is, um, you know, hey, if, if KU had two six-win years here in the next three years, could that help them with, with football? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this is not a – two- or three-year decision with conference realignment. It's a 20-, 30-, 40-year decision, you know, looking down the road. And so kind of the big-picture stuff is more what you're looking at. And I, I, I just doubt 
you know, if KU basketball had a year or two postseason ban, um, again, we're all speculating on, on what potentially could happen. But if, if it happened, I, I just don't see KU basketball's brand really being affected that much. I don't see the fans running away. I don't see Allen Fieldhouse not being um, considered one of the best arenas in college basketball. I don't consider it being to not be one of the top coaching jobs in college basketball if that occurred. So, yeah, I don't think it would change that much when it comes to realignment. But, again, for uh, the people around here and the people who really care about the program, if it did happen, it would obviously be a major bummer, uh, especially in that short term as you're serving those punishments and trying to move on to better days. So in talking and learning about the potential, I guess, what the timeline could be, hypothetically, with Derek Crawford, did you come away from that thinking that, all those changes are good or bad for KU, or is it just kind of indifferent? It's more about a timeline thing. Well, so what's interesting is in this, and again, I'd encourage people to go read it because it is sort of complicated. Um, there were two main rule changes. One is I mentioned that they're going to put up case timelines for each case. So they're going to say, hey, this is what happened you know, a month ago. This is what happened two months ago. This is what happened three months ago. Basically, you can follow along, and so everyone's not just guessing at where the case is. You can now look and say, oh, this is where it's at in the investigation. It gives you a little bit, sort of a sense of a timeline of where it's at now and where it might be in the future. Um, so just everybody's not left in the dark. I think Derek talked about it having, you know, giving the, the, the sort of process more credibility and more transparency. And so that takes place immediately. So KU's case will get one of those timelines once that thing pops up next month. The other part of it, um, trying to get the process, the cases sped up. What's interesting about that is, it is a prospective rule change. So that means any case that happens now, from now on, that goes to the IRP, that will happen from the beginning, but it's not going to go retrospective. So it's not going to go back to the cases like Kansas and Memphis and all those other ones that are already in the IRP. Having said that, though, um, I think what, what Derek's point was when talking to me was that Board of Directors for Division One, when they made this rule change and made an emergency rule change and did it immediately, they made a pretty clear message that they do not want these investigators to reinvestigate every single case. They do not want them to um, go back and do the work that has sort of already been done by the NCAA's enforcement staff. They want them to look at that case, and if they have questions, go research that stuff, but not start a whole new investigation from the beginning. And, and he basically spoke about that's why this thing has taken so long. They didn't envision that when they got these investigators in that they would go and, and, and go back and talk to everybody all over again. They envisioned, hey, they'd look at the case, they'd figure if there was one or two things that needed to be checked into, they would interview those people and then move on with the case. But, you know, when you hire real investigators to do this, like people who investigate for a living, uh, what are they going to do? They're going to try the best of the job at, that they can. And so I think these investigators got in, they said, oh, I'm, I'm going to go do what I do and, and, you know, look under every rock and turn every stone. And, and that's why this thing has really dragged along. I, I think the NCAA and these investigators who are hired uh, to do the IRP as part of the IRP, I, I think they both had different thoughts of what their role was supposed to be. So it's a long way to answer your question, but I think what Derek was saying is that while this doesn't apply to Kansas' case, while all that investigation that has been done already is going to apply to KU's case, any future investigation that was going to be done maybe in the next few months, that's probably going to get cut short. You know what I mean? Like the NCAA has basically spoken up and stood on uh, the stage and said, all right, enough's enough. You're done investigating this stuff. Let's move on to the ruling. Let's get to some resolution. So I think it impacts KU's case in that the timeline might have been quicker had nothing happened. But like we talked about, I mean, this thing is already two years down the road, so it's already kind of dragged on a little bit to begin with. So 
Will it affect KU's case? Yeah, I think it'll affect the timeline a little bit and potentially cut off a little bit of the investigation that might have happened here at the very end. But will it affect it as much as a new case that would go in in September or October of this year? Absolutely not. Those cases should move along at a much, much quicker pace than these other ones just because the NCAA is kind of learning from its mistakes. Talking with Jesse Newell, Kansas City Star. Go check out that story at KansasCity.com. I do want to ask you a football question. Media days were yesterday. Play a little uh, future predictor for me here. Who starts more games for KU, Devin Neal or Miles Kendrick? Good question. Good question. <laughs> thank you. I, I think thank that you. one. That one. Yeah, that one. That one's probably even money. I will go with. Man, that is a really tough one. Because I think Miles Kendrick will start the season at quarterback, but it could change. And I think that Devin Neal probably will start late games, but probably not early. But you're probably coming pretty close to the same number in the end if you think that either injuries or um, that, that Kendrick might not produce at the level that they want him to, and or maybe Dolly like, you know, Daniels could step up as well. So I will stick with Kendrick. I mean, I think they love Devin Neal, and he's super talented. And I know you've been talking to him for a while now, Derek, but, man, super impressive in person. I, I've not met many 18-year-olds that um, that talk and have the maturity that he does. So you can tell why um, coaches and teammates uh, talk very glowingly of him. But it might still be a little bit of a push to, to have him start games, especially when you got a guy like Dalton Gardner coming back. So I'll say Miles Kendrick, even that's a little bit on the limb because – that quarterback competition hasn't been settled, but you know you've heard from Lance Leipold, you've heard from Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator. They want to reduce mistakes, they want to reduce possessions, they want to make sure that they give themselves every opportunity to hang in a game, be down ten to six or fourteen to ten in the fourth quarter, and have something you know weird happen and have them pull off an upset victory. And I think the guy they're going to put in there is the one who is going to make the, the fewest mistakes and knows the playbook the best. And at this point, I would say that person. Uh, is probably Miles Kendrick, and that's probably why he is going to be the starting quarterback week one for Kansas. Again, we'll see what happens in two weeks. Things can change, but I, I would definitely for him right now, as far as things go, as you know, as far as what I've heard from the coaches so far, and as far as um, as they have talked about him and, and being impressive in these offseason months. He is Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Check out all his work, including the story with the IARP at KansasCity.com. I think he's got something up there about Devin Neal as well. So, uh, Jesse, thank you for the time as always, and talk to you next week. Sounds good, Derek. Appreciate it. All right, Jesse Newell joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depend on it. One hour down, two to go. Next hour, we're doing our Lawrence High season preview. Matt Llewellyn is here with me. He already talked to Clint Bowen, so we're going to hear from Clint Bowen. I also have an interview set up with Bethany Bowen. Bowman, excuse me, not related, of Sports in Kansas, who has kind of the more macro view of being able to look at the schedule and Lawrence High and, and some of the other teams in 6A. That, after this timeout. Let's talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Colsey Butar in with me. And we got Matt Llewellyn stopping by the studio. He's going to be on the call for Lawrence High football coming up in just about two weeks. How pumped are you for the start of football season, Matt? I am so excited, I can't even tell you. I mean, it is uh, Friday night we had a, a Clint and uh, – and his wife had a big uh, fundraiser at Abe and Jake's, and that was just a blast. It was a blast talking to all the parents and just getting getting revved up for the for the football season, man. I'm so I'm so excited. It, it's going to be great. We got to talk to uh, Devin Neal yesterday at KU Football Media Day. This is actually what he said. I asked him about Lawrence High football, so I'll, I'll play this to uh, give us a little kickoff here. 
LHS starting up their season in a couple weeks. How do you think the Chesty Lions are going to do this year? You know, they got a new coaching staff. I love Coach Bowen. He part he uh, helped recruit me here. Um, they're going to be fantastic. They're under a great coach and a great uh, support staff. Um, they just got to keep chipping and get better each and every day. And the thing with Devin Neal is he, you know, I, I don't know how many of these guys who are currently on the roster he played with, but he knows Clint Bowen. He knows he's a really good coach. And, and that's been the one thing that I've been so almost floored by with this team. Like, the, the hirings that they were making with some of these assistant coaches, like Mike Lee to coach the safeties, I mean, unbelievable. It really is. It is uh, at the very least, they have to have the best coaching staff in the state of Kansas. I, I just don't – well, or should I say the most experienced – I mean, what what coaching staff has college uh, all over the board, college level playing and coaching, and and tons of experience the whole way? Does it? I can't think of any of them. No, I, I mean to have guys like straight out of college too, like a year or two out of playing at high level of football, and that I think gives me because. I, I don't know what to expect from this year's Lawrence High team in terms of last year you go 8-0 in the regular season. You look like the best team in the state through the regular season, and then you run into the, the buzzsaw that is Derby. Um, but you could probably argue that you know LHS ended up as one of the, for sure, five best, three best teams in the state of Kansas, even with the loss to Derby at the end of the season. But you lost so many players, including star players, Devin Neal and so forth. And so... I think we've learned plenty of times that the two Lawrence schools, outside of a couple of exceptions, like last year for Free State or a couple of years ago for Lawrence High, they tend to just, uh, in all sports, pretty much retool pretty quickly, right? So I, I, that gives me hope, and it also just gives me hope that you have all those coaches that are going to, yeah, maybe some of these guys are inexperienced and haven't played varsity football, but you're going to get the best coaching that you can get at that level. It well, it really is amazing what what Lawrence High does, and and you said reload. To some degree, yes. However, you can't possibly say that this year because they they lost so much off of last year's team. But what happened is we had a couple things that kind of fell in our lap. Number one, we hired Clint Bowen. So what do we get? We get we get his son Baylor Bowen. Who, who will be one of the best wide receivers in the state of Kansas, who's just awesome. We get um, Avion Nelson just kind of out of the blue, who's just, who is potentially maybe one of their best players. Um, we, but we have some guys back, too. I mean, it, it, oh, and then we get a freaking kicker. Have you heard about the kicker? <laughs> no, I have not. Grant Glasgow, Glasgow mm-hmm. is, so Friday night, and I did not know this was happening. Uh, but he has been a soccer player all his life. And, th- th- you know, you, that's kind of a classic tale for a high school kicker is they, they go from soccer and somebody one day says, oh, you should go, you should go try out for the football team. And, and lo and behold, we've got a, a great kicker. This kid regularly has been kicking field goals from the 50. And this is a high school kid, and mm. this is our senior who lands on our lap. Now, now, granted, that's not there's there's no one around him. There's no it's not the pressure of game day or anything like that. It's 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 just what he's doing in practice on his own. 
But, I mean, there are videos of him. I watched, saw a video of him kicking a 60-yard field goal. <laughs> what? He kicked In it high from school? 50. He kicked it from the 50-yard line. Did he make it? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean. I mean, and and it's amazing. So so we did have a, a little bit of good luck. And, you know, I, I don't know if uh, if Coach Bowen wants me to share that information, but I'm going, but you know, of course, I, I, I will. well, it's a, ki- I it mean, could be a secret weapon, but but it's a, it's a kicker. It's not a trick play, right? You're not sharing true. that. Right. Hey, when they're in this formation, they're doing it. it's it's a kicker. Like the other team's gonna gonna know they're kicking the ball, um, right? So I, I don't think it's an issue there. But yeah, I mean, another. How many years have you been doing this on the call with with so this yourself is and seventh? Hank? This is will be my my seventh year doing it, and just an absolute. Just it's just been such a pleasure ever since I've I've been here. It's been it's so amazing. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. And last year was I'm sure I don't know very interesting because you had on one hand you had the COVID filled year and it, it made things a lot different in terms of how you could cover the team and whatnot. But just in terms of enjoying the team, I'm sure last year with how good they were had to be a, as fun as any year that, as there was. Last year was absolutely amazing. Um. It was just, I mean, it was just so great. But how, how well I got to know all the players, uh, what a pleasure their parents were, and and just and and all of those guys, they were just so awesome. It, everyone was so great to work with, and and always so willing to talk, and 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 their their play on the field was absolutely amazing. It was just absolutely incredible. I I just can't tell you, um what a thrill it was for me every Friday night to go in there and, and, and call Lawrence high football because they are, they were such a great, great group of kids. Yeah. And more to come two weeks from tomorrow is the first game that gets my blood boiling. Yeah. Thir- Thursday night start time, man. Oh yeah. Nothing wrong with that. With the KU game that Friday, he's Matt Llewellyn. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a quick time out here. When we come back, we're going to hear Matt talked with the new head coach for the Chesty Lions. That would be Clint Bowen. That on the other side, this is RCST. Clint, welcome back to Lawrence High. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate that. And yeah, as you started this off, this de- definitely is not the weight room that uh, I worked out in when I attended Lawrence High School and played for Bill Freeman back in the day. So we, we're very fortunate to have the the facility that we have uh, here right now. I mean, this is this is really beautiful. Just all kinds of uh, cardiovascular, tons of of. Uh, of free weights and and all, I love the fact that they all have chesty lion on all the weights. There's no doubt they did a great job. It, it's a, a very clean facility. It has a nice turf area down the middle. We can get some movement stuff in. Uh, a lot of racks. You know, we can get 60 kids in here and get them working out uh, real efficiently. So um, you know, it was uh, really nice to to take this program and realize that we had a facility like this to train our kids in. Well, it certainly is sharp and. Uh, and welcome back to Lawrence High, by the way. How does it feel to be the coach of, uh, of your alma mater high school? It's great. You know, it, it, is, it is exactly what, you know, what I wanted it to be, what my, me and my wife wanted it to be, a chance to come back home to, you know, touch some kids' lives, have maybe a, a positive effect on some kids in the community. And, you know, we took this job, and, and the message I heard was, oh, kids are different, kids are different. And I'm here to tell you that we have 116 kids in this program that aren't different. Those young men showed up all summer, 
they uh, incredibly respectful, great young men, worked incredibly hard. Um, this has been such a positive experience. We have such a gr great group of young men in this program that, that, that do everything you ask to represent Lawrence High in a great way and, and uh, work to become better footballs on a, football players on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, I don't know where all these different kids are, but they're definitely not, they're <laughs> definitely not in our program. Well, I, the kids are awesome. I mean, and I worked very closely, obviously, with the kids from last year, and they were so respectful and so nice. I mean, much nicer than I thought we were <laughs> when I was going to school here. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a, um, you know, it, it really, it's fun to come in here every day and see their energy, see their excitement, see their willingness to try and learn and get better. And, uh, and then to watch them, you know, together as teammates, you know, we, we you know, always just kind of observe and see how our team communicates with each other. And if I, if I'm not talking about something going on, uh, those guys are in a circle bunched up laughing, having a good time. So they're, they're good teammates with, with each other as well. Well, that's awesome. And very excited. Uh, we're just starting, uh, uh, practices now. Uh, you've had your first practice or first couple so, anyway. Um, how has that gone so far? Oh, really good. You know, we were able to get out there, um, you know, we, we, through the summertime, we had worked through the procedures and, and, and the, the mechanics of practice. So the biggest thing I was happy about is, you know, everyone knew right where to go. We got lined up in a hurry. We got drills started in a hurry. We, we maximized reps. I mean, we got a ton of reps the first two days of, of that and got a lot of individual work. So uh, the first two practices have been uh, really good. I was, uh, the first one, you know, um, defense probably owned us a little bit. And then the second one, offense kind of came back and, and made some plays and had a nice little balance on us. So the kids are working. and. And uh, but, but biggest thing I was about is that the kids carried over the efficiency of practice so that we're not out there wasting seconds. Well, and, and you're taking over a program that you, you lost 18 starters last year. And from from my vantage point up in the booth, those 18 starters were the guys who did it. I mean, or well, the, the, the 22 starters were out there and the, the four other guys made an impact. But those it was focused around that senior team. You've got a whole new group of guys coming in. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. We're we're an inexperienced team. We do, you know, have a couple of veterans, but you know, I, what we do is, um, you know, it's simple to pick up. You know, we focus a big time on on the base fundamentals of the game, teaching them, getting them through situations. So, you know, we if our kids, you know, they continue with their eagerness to learn. Um, you know, you can't replace experience, but at the same time, um, I think we can get this group ready. There will obviously be some young kids that we're counting on. There will be a lot of sophomores that, that play a lot of varsity football this year. Maybe some freshmen, we'll see. Wow, uh-oh. Uh -oh. We're going we're gonna to put young kids on the field early because, you know, in reality, that's what's best for the program. It's best to be continually developing the young players and giving them opportunities to play so that when their time comes, we're not in the situation we are right now where we're putting, you know, 18 guys on the field that haven't played varsity football. Well, and I think one of the first things that you said to me when you came back and I talked to you about how excited I was that you were coming back being the leader of Lawrence High School football was that you wanted to focus on the youth and get youth football going again, and and hopefully we've, we're working towards that with hopefully Central getting a program, Central Junior High or Liberty Memorial now, getting a program back this year. Yeah, there's no doubt. Eugene Miles was the new head coach at, at Liberty Memorial was just in here, we're, you know, trying to get them some practice jerseys, some equipment that, you know, they, they needed some help with, and, and we, we are trying to embrace all those lower levels. You know, I, I'm a obviously a 100% believer that football is good for kids. Football teaches so many life lessons. 
that you know you don't have to be a great football player to get great benefits from the game of football so the more youth we can get in there you know our summer camp season was really good I think we had about 80 85 6th 7th 8th graders that came over and we were able to get 15 sessions in with them so you know, kind of get those kids involved you know more than just a, a two-day show up you know get your t-shirt one day camp go home that's not that's not doing us any good so we tried to develop a program for our middle school and we have to continue to do better it was year one learning through that it's my goal to to, to have a much better program in the summertime for those young kids to come in here and truly learn how to play football truly learn our way and then and then you know start bonding with each other at a younger age well and, and coach miles at, at at liberty memorial he had a two-week camp that i don't i don't ever remember that kind of a thing going on for the junior high kids this year and it was a really cool camp i, I for for kids who have had no football exposure in their life and it was a really seemed like a really good event yeah, no, the, the, the middle school coaches are all, you know, uh, Eugene at, at Liberty, and I'll, I'll keep calling it Central like you keep yeah, doing. I keep yeah. that, but he's doing a nice job there. You know, the guys at Southwell die and, and the crew, they got a little junior Lions program going. Sebastian Bonner just took over that Southwest uh, uh, program, and then Gardner at West. So, that, you know, as, as long as it's getting important amongst the middle school kids, it's going to get good. All right, and we've got the principal talking about uh, changing classes and, and getting some new guys in here, so we might need to call this quits. But, Clint, welcome back to Lawrence High. Thank you so much for taking over this program. Thank you for giving me some time this morning, and uh, good luck on the whole year and, and the football season to come and just and developing some young men for the future. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, we look forward to opening up that Thursday night, September 2nd. You know, one big surprise for everyone out on the, the radio is we have changed our sideline. Our home sideline will now be on the press box side. That was something that was important to me. I believe that's the right thing to do. There are other reasons involved in that, but uh, we're going to be on that press box side where the home team's supposed to be. So uh, get ready to come and fill that side. You know, look in the sun for about 30 minutes, bring some sunglasses and a hat. It'll be one game. But I promise you, the playoff game in November, there's not going to be a sun issue. So let's get ready to go. Well, I guarantee you there are going to be some older older LHS fans and alumni who are going to be happy that they don't have that far of a walk this year. They, they have a little bit closer walk there on this side of the stadium. Put it on your calendars, everybody. September 2nd, it's a, we're opening up on a Thursday night this year. And uh, just can't wait for the Lawrence High football season to get going. Thank you very much, Clint. Thank you. We continue on with our Lawrence High season preview as we're just a couple weeks from the first game of the season. It's football season. I'm Derek Johnson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We're joined now by Bethany Bowman of Sports in Kansas. Does a lot of great work for them. Uh, Bethany, thank you for hopping on today. Uh, What's kind of your view from the outside looking in on Lawrence High? headed into this year after they had that really strong season a year ago that ended in a tough loss in the playoffs, and and now you lose some star players like Devin Neal and Jackson Dooley and so forth. What's kind of the view from the outside of what Lawrence High could be this season? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, Really appreciate it and excited to talk a little bit about Lawrence. So Lawrence, after having that great year last year, I think, is an exciting team that everybody should have on their radar. Um, they will have new head coach and Clint Bowen, which is exciting. But um, like you mentioned, Devin Neal, he was one of the most electric players in the state. Um, so I know that they will miss him. Now they're at, uh, at KU, not too far down the road, but playing for the University of Kansas. Um, I think some guys that we saw at the Sharp Combine this summer um, and some things was uh, some guys on the offensive line. So like Noah Smith looked really good. Um, got to talk to him this summer, and I know he was excited about the things that Lawrence will be able to do. And, you know, that's kind of something that 
I've learned and have appreciated more lately is it all kind of starts um, in the trenches. So offensive and defensive line, if you can have a strong one of those, that's always you know, a good starting point for a team. Um, you know, there are some questions and some some roles for Lawrence High of uh, who's going to spot, but I think that's a really good starting point for this Lions team. When you look at potential, like, young teams, just in, in high school football in general, how important is that to have experience, or is it easier to overcome at the high school level than maybe we think of at, like, the collegiate level? Well, I mean, I always think experience can help a team out, definitely, when you've got those guys that can kind of mold the younger guys and mentor them and show them how things need to be done. Um, but especially with a new head coach coming in, you know, he's going to have some of his own things and ways that he wants things done. And so I think sometimes a younger group, a fresh group, a guys that are really excited for something new can be beneficial to a team. Um, so, you know, I think for Coach Bowen, that can be an exciting thing for him and, and something that he can look forward to. Um, so, again, there are some questions, but I'm pretty excited to see how Lawrence will do it this season. You mentioned Noah Smith. Are there any other players you're keeping an eye on, or uh, what are your kind of your thoughts on, on what Noah could, could provide this season? Yeah, no, uh, Noah was someone that stuck out to us right away at that Shark Combine. Um, he obviously has really great size um, at about 6'4", I think, and uh, over 300 pounds. So um, he looked great. Uh, you know, I, like I said, some of the position players, uh, you know, like I said, some questions. And um, there are some guys, some younger guys that we have on some of our sports in Kansas lists that we're looking at and um, we want to see step up this year but yeah definitely the offensive line and uh, maybe the defensive line too there's some guys that can really set the tone for this team when you're looking at like different programs at the 6a level that you just assume okay they're going to be good every year the same way we look at you know Alabama or Clemson in football and say well they'll just be really good every year or in basketball Kentucky Duke Kansas and just say they're going to be good every year is that kind of the classification that you'd put Lawrence High in among the group of top teams in 6A each and every year where it just feels like, okay, they are losing a lot of players, but you just feel like program-wise they are going to be around? Yeah, I mean, I think Lawrence always has to be in the conversation with uh, the past success that they've had. Obviously, another one is Derby, who you know knocked Lawrence out of the playoffs last season. Um, that was a very anticipated matchup, and uh, Derby did come out on top, but they are just a phenomenal program that has really built themselves into a dynasty. Um, another one, Blue Valley North, um, they finished runner-up. You know, that's another one for sure. But, you know, Lawrence, I think, is up there. Sometimes uh, every year you have to expect some great things from them, and uh, I think that no one would be surprised to see them make a deep playoff run again. Uh, with Derby, it seems like each and every year, as you mentioned, they're like at the top of the group there. Is that the case again? Um, from just kind of a more macro level in the state of Kansas, are, are they the team to beat once again in 6A? I think they have to be. Um, they they return quite a bit. Um, they will have their running back, Dylan Edwards, who's one of the most highly recruited players in the state. Um, big thing for them, like I mentioned with Lawrence, is uh, they'll have a ton of their linebacks. So they've got a ton of veteran guys coming back on the line. And um, like I mentioned, I kind of think it all starts there. And uh, Coach Brandon Clark got to talk to him before the season started, or I guess before it does start, but just a couple of days ago. And he's excited about that group. I think Derby is definitely going to be one um, to be in 6A. As you look at just Derby, if they are like the standard of the program, at least they have been over the, the past handful of years in 6A, is there anything that sticks out to you of what they do so well that um, 
if you were a, a new head coach like Clint Bowen, you'd be maybe trying to emulate in some way. Is it that line play? Is it something about their development? I guess what has made them such a power? Oh, well, you know, if you look at Derby, they've won now six titles in the last eight years. And so it's not just something that they've done over the past, you know, four seasons of the guys that they have playing in high school right now. Um, you have to go back to your youth program and get that established and get those younger guys, you know, doing stuff to get ready for their high school years way before that even comes. Uh, Brandon Clark and the staff there at Derby has done a great job at that. I think, you know, a ton of other successful coaches in the state are realizing that that is what's getting them there. Um, you, you have to start early. You've got to get some of the younger guys going um, years in advance. And so, yeah, for, you know, I'm sure Coach Bowen <laughs> knows that. I am no football coach whatsoever. But like you said, just things that have stuck out to me, I think that's a big one. Um, hearing from some of these coaches that they have really started their youth program and got that going with a ton of turnout, a ton of kids wanting to show up to to the camps and, and the younger kid things, and that has been really paying off once those kids get into high school. Talking with Bethany Bowman here from Sports in Kansas, I, I want to look at Lawrence High's schedule because, I mean, here we're basically mostly covering, you know, Lawrence High and Free State, whereas you get kind of the view of, of all the different teams. So I figured that you could help break down the schedule for us. Lawrence High takes on Olathe East in week one on the road. Then they play Shawnee Mission North, and then they have Shawnee Mission West, Mill Valley, is uh, then game after that, that'll be a road game for them. So the first half of the schedule with Olathe East, Shawnee Mission North, Shawnee Mission West, Mill Valley, any of those games kind of stick out to you um, in terms of the competition that Lawrence High is going to be going up against? Yeah, well, Olathe East last season finished 6-2, and two, so that is obviously you know a, a pretty good team that Lawrence will start out with, but um, that'll, be, you know, that'll be a good one. I think that Lawrence, uh, if they can kind of get some momentum back that they had last year, um, maybe come out with a win in that one. But, again, new year. Um, a lot of coaches have mentioned that. Every year is different. So just really excited for the season to see how that goes. Um, you look at Shawnee Mission North and Shawnee Mission West, um, finished 1-5 and five and 2-5 and five respectively in 2020. Um, ten of teams in the Sunflower were all kind of beating up on each other last year. So uh, North's only win was over Shawnee Mission Northwest. Um, that's later on the schedule. For Lawrence, um, they had a great team, six and two. Had one of the best quarterbacks in the state. Um, but North does get that win over Northwest for their only only victory of the season. Um, get down to Mill Valley, obviously back to back defending five A state champions. Um, Joel Alphabet has something great going on there, and uh, that's you know got to be uh, as well as a bunch of other great five A teams. Um, definitely, I think the team to beat, if not um, at least one of them. So. Um, like I said, get down to after Mill Valley Northwest, Shawnee Mission Northwest. Um, they were six and two. Then you get to Shawnee Mission South. That's a team that went zero and seven in twenty twenty. Um, you know, again though, new year. I, I don't think you can really overlook any team, regardless of uh, if they got a win or not. Olathe North. After that, they had an eight and two record on the year. Their only regular season loss was to Lawrence, and that was a great game. They ended up falling to state runner-up Blue Valley North in the semifinals, and they have numerous state titles in that program. Um, so that's always going to be a tough one. I think they'll be a pretty solid team once again. Uh, last game of the season, the in-city matchup with Lawrence Free State, and Free State you know, going 0-6, but uh, they had a very tough schedule. Um, well, I know we'll talk more about them um, in another, another segment, but yeah, I don't. I don't think you can overlook really anybody on this schedule. Sunflower League always very tough, and 
um, you know, hoping for a good year for Lawrence, but it's, it's going to be a tough road for him. She is Bethany Bowman. Sports in Kansas does great work there. Bethany, thank you so much for the time. And, yeah, we'll have you on for the Free State preview as well coming up here in a little. Thanks again. All right. Thank you so much. All right, that was Bethany Bowman. We'll have her on tomorrow as well to preview Free State when we do that on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Tomorrow will be a weird show. It'll be short because of the Royals game playing at 110, pregame at 1230 tomorrow. So we'll have a shorter show, but we still will do our Free State preview where we'll talk to Kevin Stewart, the head coach, Jet Deneen, their quarterback, might be talking to another assistant coach, and also Bethany as well. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, two hours down, one to go, right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.